So their happiness, what does it say? Wen fa yung yue zhu shu kong. Right? Their si zai tian wang yu tian zhong. The god Ishvara and all the other gods, hearing the Dharma, jump for joy. They were, their happiness moved them. Uh, we saw this last week. We had a visit from uh, a three-year-old, a Taiwanese three-year-old, who had been raised by a family of performers. This is our, our friends, the puppet troupe from Taiwan. And they are theatrical, they're theater people, and they're, they're always uh, on stage and helping young people uh, experience theater and writing scripts and performing them and uh, teach, teaching theater arts. And so this three-year-old, they say, has been on stage since she was five months old. She made her stage debut and, you know, still in, in, in diapers. And so she's uh, a particularly fearless three-year-old. Uh, we were all impressed with how precocious this young woman was. Young girl, not a woman yet. She's a young girl. And uh, she, um, I brought down uh, a puppet, a rabbit, and had a, a rabbit in my hands. And uh, some, of the, some of our Dharma friends here mentioned that she saw that rabbit and she actually leapt in space. We have a picture. Uh, Jerry snapped the shutter. And this young girl is, her feet are not on the ground. She's str- flying towards this rabbit, just like that. And she's, she's not an adult, she's not sophisticated. When she feels it, she shows it. And she was like, <gasps> you know, and her, she's off the ground. She's, both feet are off the ground, heading towards the rabbit, jumping for joy. She was animated to the point where it, it lifted her off the ground. And... There are some other pictures, and she's like, ah, you know, just all happy. We're, we're all grumpy adults. Mm-hmm, that's very nice, yes. Mm-hmm. And then we look a couple times out of the corners because we want to keep our cool. You know? So she was jumping for joy. She's three years old. And, and uh, it was quite wonderful to watch this, this young girl. Uh, uh, she later performed for us. She danced. And, and all the adults, after about an hour and a half of this, were kind of sitting down going... <sighs> And she was, I am not tired at all, she said. And we're like, yeah, we can see that. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. To have the energy of a three-year-old. Wow. So, quite wonderful to see somebody jump for joy. And it didn't take much. It was a, a rabbit puppet. But she was off the ground, jumping for joy. So, here we have devas who live in the realm of happiness because, why? Blessings. Their blessings are abundant. And the devas are jumping for joy because they've gotten something better than a rabbit. They've got the Buddha Dharma, which allows them to understand things they never understood. They can see further than they've ever seen before. They make connections that they've never made before. They know that when they go back, having heard the Dharma, they'll be able to say things that will help people's pain go away the way they never had before. It's like uh, a doctor who is uh, now empowered to treat illnesses that he never was empowered to do before. Um, Our very own Jason is going up 
to learn root canals. And uh, uh, one of our other parishioners, who is uh, also a dentist, last week after the lecture said, oh, he said, I've been a dentist now for 27 years and I've never done root canals. You know why, he said. He said, it's very, very, very hard. Those root, the, the nerves are what a root canal is. I didn't know anything. They're like hairs, hair fine. And they don't go straight. They go, they curl around. Sometimes they loop. And if you're a dentist doing root canals, you have to go in there and extract this thing. It's as fine as a human hair. You, fine as an eyelash. Eyebrow, right? You can't see any hair here. Eyebrow. They're that fine. And you have to pretty much uh, guess where they go if they, if they curl and twist and you have to get the whole thing out. And it's, it's extremely difficult. There's an art to getting root canals out. I had no idea. And he said, this is, this is really difficult. And that's why whenever I have patients who require it, I send them to a, a colleague of mine who specializes in it. And you need special tools and special techniques and kung fu to, to do root canals. And so, so I thought, gee, that, I had no idea. So um, these devas here, whose lives are very comfortable, are jumping for joy because now they have learned dharma that allows them to do psychic root canals. You get the connection? Do you like that analogy the way I started? So they are able to extract living beings' afflictions as fine as a hair. So how wonderful. Yeah. So really, once you understand the dharmas of the fourth ground, you can uh, wake people up in a way you never could before. So... And they stay aloft in empty space. And what else? Pu fang zhong zhong miao guang yun. Everywhere, pu, they fang, they send out, they emit, they release, they shoot out zhong zhong, not one, not two, but many kinds of miao guang yun, clouds of wonderful light. Um, anybody who can, can I direct your gaze around behind you to to the uh, facing on the balcony. It's not clouds of wonderful light, it's just rays of wonderful light. But you can see the green dragon right here on the uh, facing of the balcony. And Guanyin's halo is over under the clock right there. And if there were incense in the air, you would have clouds of wondrous light right there. Now, it's not miraculous because why? It's sunlight. Sun is coming through our stained glass window at the right angle and we're in... Uh, mid-July now, so it's still 8 o'clock, we still have light. Come October, the light's gone uh, by about 4. But tonight we have wonderful light, and if we, when we were doing the ceremony, there were clouds of incense coming across. So, you can imagine what it must be like when the gods themselves put out the lights, send out these lights. Gong yang ru lai shi chong bian, and what are they doing with these lights? They're making offerings to the Buddhas. And their happiness pervades. Shi Chung Pian. Happiness fills up everywhere. Okay. Um, one of the main themes in the sutra that comes up over and over and over again is giving and its rewards. That's uh, a foundation of dharma, generosity, giving. And that when I first studied this, 
it that took me completely by surprise how much the sutra values giving it's the start it's the first paramita it's the the first uh it's actually the third of samantabhadra's vows giving everywhere but it's if you i once did a uh uh, survey of all the sets of dharmas, the four of this, the five of this, the six of this, the seven of this, etc. And of the various lists, giving was first in about six out of eight, six out of nine of the lists. Giving is really important. And there's all kinds of giving. There's giving up, meaning letting go of, renouncing, that's a kind of giving. Things you can do without, right? You let them go. There's uh, giving in the sense of Charity, giving to benefit, like clothes, food, uh, dwellings, shelter, and medicine. Giving to the Sangha, kinds of appropriate offerings. But this is gungyang. That's what's mentioned here. This is a special kind of giving that comes from us to, you say, above. Now, you can give, and, and there's actually a sutra that talks about the benefits of the various kinds of giving. The comparative benefits. And it's fascinating because it says if you really want a lot of gunda, if you want a lot of merit and virtue, good results, then you can give to... How does it go? Does it go increasing or decreasing? I think it goes from low to high. It says you can give to people in need, beggars. And that's a really blessed thing. I think it even starts with animals. You can feed an animal, right? And that's a really good thing. If you give food to an animal, then you've relieved you've relieved suffering. But because the animal has a shorter lifespan, has a, a less of an opportunity to cultivate, it's not as blessed, meaning it doesn't generate as much goodness, as giving to a poor person or a crippled person or a sick person. That kind of giving is said to be an awesome field of blessings. Futian. So if you plant those, Connie? Okay, okay. You, can you hang on to that? Let me do my, because I'm in the middle of a thing and you can ask it in a minute. Don't forget. Okay, giving to a homeless person, giving to somebody who is sick, is full of blessings, but it's not as blessed as giving to a holder of the five precepts. Right? And giving to somebody who holds the five precepts, a layperson, creates a lot of merit and virtue. But it's not as blessed as, right? And the sutra goes up and up and up and up and up. And it even gives the equivalence. So if you give to, ultimately, I think it's a Buddha, I guess is the last one. The amount of merit and virtue that you create by giving anything to a fully awakened living being, a Buddha, is the highest way to plant field of blessing. And it's, you know, you can, there's a sutra that gives it specifically, but you can, if you tell this, you can, you can draw it out to all different degrees. Why is this true? And this is why I want to bring this point up. Here we have um, the, look at our verb here, gong yang ru lai shi chung bian. When you make offerings to the Tathagata, 
they made offerings to the Tathagata, and their happiness was filling up everywhere. Xi Chongbian. Their, their happiness just, they got happy when they gave. Check this, this is the point. When I grew up, getting was happy, not giving. I understood that the point of birthdays, holidays, when grandmother came to visit, if you were Chinese, it was Guanian, you know, you got stuff. New Year's, you got stuff. That was happy for, for young, for children and people whose minds are still in that state. Getting stuff is the point. And we like to get stuff. We are trained as consumers. Getting stuff is good, it's happy. The Buddha Dharma turns that on its head and it says, in fact, happiness comes from giving. Giving is the source of happiness. And not only does it make you happy to give, but if you look at those different kinds of giving, giving down, which is charity to people who are in need, so, so they have sufficiency, giving at a level which is sharing things, birthday gifts, giving you know a cross, and then giving up making offerings, as well as letting go, renunciation. Those kind of givings create more and more and more happiness. So why would a god be filling up space with joy from making offerings to a Buddha? Is it because the Buddha wants the stuff? The Buddha is delighted and is going to be nicer to you if you give him more stuff? No, I don't think so. Um, I thought about this a lot. And what I'd like to hear people's views on it. Why is giving to a Buddha a generator of more goodness than giving to who you'd say, you know, a homeless person on the street? You would think that, you know, giving to somebody who's like really suffering would be the greater field of blessings. Okay, Connie, do you have an idea on this? Can you turn that on and talk into it? Um, Maybe it's because like, you'll be giving to a doctor who can supply more to more people. I didn't quite hear you. I have to say a little louder. So, like, the Buddha's like a doctor who needs resources to support him to in order to continue healing more people. So, so you'll be giving to one person, but you'll be giving to many as well in one time. Yeah, that's, a, that's an idea. Um, anybody else? Why is giving to a Buddha? Why is planting the Buddha's field of blessings generating more goodness than giving, like healing somebody's illness? Jerry. Okay. It's multiplying the effect. He said it's similar to what Connie said. Because when you give to the Buddha, it allows... So, let me see if I say it right. It allows the Buddha to then further teach more people. So it's, it multiplies. Is that, is that your point? Okay, good. Yeah. Alan. Buddha. 
Can we get that mic across here? Mike, Mike, Mike. Okay, do you mind saying it one more time so everybody can hear? Otherwise, I have to repeat. Okay. Um, I forgot the name of the sutra, but I remember I read that once. Uh, one of the enlightened disciples of the Buddha make a sincere offering to the uh, Shakyamuni Buddha. And then at one time, the Buddha uh, passed on the offering to a dog, or maybe make a, just kind of share some food to the dog, wandering dog. And then the sutra asked, so what kind of burial and virtue was generated more for these kind of two kinds of offering? One is an enlightened disciple may offering to the Buddha, and Buddha pass on something, uh, share the food to a dog. And then the answer was, uh, when the Buddha uh, feed a wandering dog, that generated uh, the endless kind of burial and virtue. Okay, and do you recall, did the Buddha explain? I don't remember that. Okay. I just remember uh, that was the case. Okay, yeah. So, Alan is mentioning another sutra that talks about giving. There, when, once you discover this, uh, we call it a meme, M-E-M-E, once you discover this, this theme of, of comparative giving and the benefits of giving, you discover it everywhere. It's all over Buddhism. It's the beginning of practice. <coughs> How important is it? The... Um, um, of the paramitas, the perfections, the ways that bodhisattvas practice, it's number one, and number two is precepts, right? And they come in pairs. So precepts and or giving and precepts, patience and vigor, that was number four, samadhi and wisdom, those are the six. They come in pairs, and this is the samadhi, we're starting number five. So if you think, gee, I want to become a Buddhist, I would like to find out more about this religion, about this community, about this, this, these teachings. So to start, you, what do you do? You give and you start to, to, you come closer to the precepts. Bit by bit, you lead a more virtuous life. All right, why? Why those? Of all the things that could be, why? Okay, here's, I have, an, I have a theory. And now Jerry's answer and Connie's answer were about uh, increasing the efficacy of the receiver. I think that giving acts more on the part of the giver. It's what happens to you when you give that starts things off. Because why? The Buddha does not need your stuff, right? The Buddha does not need your incense, your flowers, your food, your lamps, your candles, your bedding, your medicine, right? I mean, the Buddha has a body, and he's a monk. If you saw him, if he walked in, you'd see this tall monk. And for sure, he needs four requisites. What are they? The four things that people offer to the Sangha. They offer food and drink, clothing, medicine, right, when you're sick, and shelter and Macintosh laptops, you all know that. That's the fifth, you know. And occasionally guitar strings, right? No. Um, so, food, clothing, shelter, medicine, those are the four standards. Does the Buddha want those things? He wants them for his Sangha, and 
we always say when the Ulambana Sutra comes around, and that's going to be coming up pretty soon, that one of the reasons why the Buddha praises the, the giving in Ulambana is so that the Sangha gets offerings to last the year round. Right? Okay, so yes, those things are important. The Buddha is beyond, you know, I need, I want. Why is giving number one? It's because every time we give, we give away part of the self. That's why it starts things off. When we can give, we let go of a little bit of what I know to be me and mine, which is what the root of the problem. The root of the problem of ignorance that leads to suffering is this sense of me and mine, which is right in the center of almost every single thing I do. Me and mine. I'm the most important single unit of the universe for most of us. And here is absolutely no mistake the book about people who do not believe that to be true. The sutra is about people who take others as equally important as the self. Not that the self is unimportant. You have to have a driver's license. You have to have a email address to get along. You know, probably not the email address, but you get the point. However, the bodhisattva, all of these grounds are for the purpose of seeing that the self is an illusory self. It's not a real permanent thing. It's changing all the time. It's a constructed self. Many conditions come together to make me who I think I am. My story. Okay. Don't believe it? How many of us were born on the ground that we live on today? How many of us were born in the place that we now call our address? Not very many of us. And occasionally we ask this question at Teons, and there's always like two out of 20 who say, I'm still living in the house that I was born in. In fact, I live in the same room I was born in. I was born in Berkeley and I lived here all my life. There's those one or two, or San Francisco, right? Most of us are multiple, right? I am Scots-Irish through Canada, Midwesterner, born near the Great Lakes, who has been in California more than half of my life, by far. Okay, so I'm multiple. And if you ask my sister, she's convinced that someday I'm going to pull a zipper and this Chinese person is going to jump out from inside. So so we're all multiple. We're all like constructed, right? The self that we think is so real and true and permanent is made up of stuff. It's changing all the time. It's as multiple as the clothes in your closet. Okay, this, the body is just one piece of it. Okay, so when we can give pieces of that away, happily, joyfully, volunt- willingly with a good heart, that kind of shakes up that sense of self. That's the beginning of cultivation. So, yes, Jerry?
Okay, so Jerry's question is about comparative, right? The comparative merits of giving. And, <coughs> excuse me, the, if you look at the, the way the sutra sketches it out, it talks about gunda, uh, the merit and virtue. The difference between a Buddha and us is how much covers our nature versus how much covers the Buddha nature. Another way to say it, this is, this is deep Dharma theory. Okay, so go with me to this theory and see if we can make sense of it. The process of cultivation, and these people we're reading about, these bodhisattvas, they're almost done. They're way along the road towards success towards the completion of their practice. And what they have done that we are still doing is they've removed the covers from over what's called their their nature, their xing, the, the virtue of their own nature. As a result, every bit that you give away or scrape off or cultivate away allows you to shine, they say, with a brighter light. Now, you've met people who somehow seem radiant, you know, people who seem magnetic in a way, people who just, you feel a kinship, you feel a connection. The Chinese say yuan fun. You feel a connection to them, organically, somehow, spontaneously. I would say that possibly it's because those people are virtuous. Not just charisma, it's because they have some light about them. And we don't necessarily see it with our own eyes. Okay, can you imagine what it's like to be in the presence of a Buddha? Imagine what a Buddha would be like. Somebody who has done that work completely. What's it like? Um, I don't know specifically, but I do know that the sutra is always talking about light. That word comes up all the time. Here, what do we have? Here, Deva's sending light out. From your body. So a Buddha, apparently, when you uncover your nature, it shines, they say. Your nature shines. And when we look at, can we look at over here at Manjushri? Notice that round thing around his head? The round thing around Amitabha? Okay, look at the Buddha standing on our altar here, the, the, the central Buddha who's standing. That... Uh, kind of mm, hard to describe shape, that leaf-like shape around him, that's the artist's way of depicting light that shines from the Buddha, they say. Right? They talk about it as what? The aura, right? The surround, the guangquan, they say in Chinese, the circle of light. Apparently, now, if you and I, if any of us had our eyes open, we could probably see that light. I don't. I don't see it. And that was, Shurfu used to tease us all the time. Oh, you can't see it? Oh, it's so colorful. Well, got, you can't? Huh. Okay. You know, it's like teasing. And what is that light? It's the light of your nature, my nature, uncovered. So, to get back to the question, when you make an offering to someone whose nature is un completely uncovered and shining and brilliant, you are connecting 
to that source and it increases your your giving away part something some material thing in order to move closer to that source of light so that's what they say comparatively the merit of doing that inside what it does to you as you give that gift is it brings you closer it's funny you go out so you can come back in closer to your nature now if you give to a homeless person let's say who is you know i am a homeless person there are two homeless people in the room myself and master dashi right i mean i am a homeless person indeed i have an address here but i don't live here entirely i've lived in many many monasteries around the world so if you give to a person on the street who often has mental problems maybe resulting from their experiences as a veteran of our many 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 foreign wars and they were kicked out of the VA at a certain point when their benefits shrank etc etc I won't go there tonight but somebody on the street who is unhappy who is often addicted in a way to get through the day you know substances in order to take the pain away someone who is anxious someone who is frightened at night because they're ultimately vulnerable to gangs to robbers to thieves to to all kinds of illness you know someone whose nature is afflicted and covered there's goodness there is human kindness there there is removing suffering but in terms and you're getting letting go of something but you're not going back to a source of light right you're kind of you're feeding a person for a meal whereas if you could teach them to cook and to grow food you'd feed them for life because they could feed themselves so anyway that's i think that's the idea it's what it does to you vis-a-vis the uncovered nature of the person the being you're giving to i think that's how the sutra goes so when you now to just to i i i started this didn't i talking about giving we got way off down the road here but it's good this is good because i wanted people to to tune into the giving that goes on in the sutra okay if you don't have the buddha in front of you you don't have a buddha image at home or maybe you do but you feel kind of you know it's on top of the tv and it's kind of it's you put flowers in front of it but it doesn't work for you give to the field the blessings that is your mom start there taking care they talk about a tang shang junfo right they talk about the the buddha the true buddha in your own home right the your mom is the source of your physical life your body and she is there entirely to make your life pain free right moms seem to exist to make the make it hurt less to kiss the boo boo when you bang your finger with a hammer and make it go away right that's what moms do they do it naturally spontaneously they don't think about it they just this is what moms do they feed us they raise us they make our ouchies go away right so mostly we just kind of go down the road yeah yeah 
my mom, you know. And if we ever turn around and say, that is a huge source of blessings, wouldn't it be nice if we could make our mother's life more blessed, even a little? Flowers go a long way. You ever give flowers to your mom by surprise? It's like they melt. Oh, you shouldn't. They're so pretty. You know, it's like, like yeah, that's, whoa, she really likes those flowers, you know. Moms love flowers. And don't wait for Mother's Day. Do it by surprise sometimes. And, you know, it's amazing. Just the slightest turning around to plant in that field of blessings gives you a clue to what it must be like when you make an offering to a Buddha who will shine when you make that connection. Why? Because he, the Buddha, he is seeing someone who is wandering far away, taking one step closer to home. Right? They talk about Amitabha as the kind father, and we are trying to find our true home in the Pure Land, and we're just kind of out there wandering. Today looks pretty good. Tomorrow I'm not so sure. Today I recite. Tomorrow I forget. You know, and the Buddha's going, okay, they'll get here sooner or later. You know? And if we can make that offering, the Buddha, Namo Amitofo, then the Buddha goes, ah, oh, welcome home, right? In fact, the Bodhisattva great strength in the Sharangama Sutra says it's just like a child who finally remembers his mother after having been away for a long time. And as soon as the, the child returns, then they know they're, they're safe, they're back home. Okay, so this is all, one more thing about giving, and then I'm gonna, we're going to move on. In our Avatamsaka Sutra, our very text, in the, um, the third practice of Samantabhadra, which is the last chapter, they talk about kinds of giving. Here we go. Here's a place where we hear about kinds of giving. And it says, of all the kinds of giving, giving of Dharma is the highest kind. Think about that. It's not a thing. And there are three kinds of giving traditionally in Buddhism. They talk about things. They talk about courage or fearlessness. Helping people through fear. Saying the right words when somebody is anxious or terrified. Calming people who are frightened. That's the second best kind of giving you can do. But of all the kinds of giving, wealth, and it could be diamonds, Keys to BMWs, right? Teslas. How about a Tesla? Anybody want to make an offering to the Sangha of a Tesla? We'll sell it on eBay tomorrow and build a monastery with the money. It would cost you to buy a Tesla, right? So you can give Teslas. You can give monasteries. And that's all good giving of material goods, wealth, right? That's the first kind, giving of wealth. Second kind, giving of courage or fearlessness is really valuable. The highest kind of giving is the giving of Dharma. Says the sutra. Why? What is that? All right? Think about it. I mean, you think about what you love. We had a, a round table this week, and our topic was, if you could take one thing with you, because you were escaping a fire, you were moving to a desert island, you were a refugee, and you had one thing that you could take, no matter what it was that you own now, what would it be? Was our question. What would be the one thing you would take? Okay. So, that's 
a valuable thing to you because of your connection to it. But the highest giving that you can do is the giving of dharma. Highest means best. Now, what does that mean to give dharma? And then the sutra goes and explains. It gives us all these choices of what it means to say the giving of dharma. And what what do you imagine? The giving of dharma, it's one of the things it says is the, the gift of cultivating according to the teachings. In other words, doing what your teacher says. That's the highest kind of giving. For example, don't get angry. If somebody can say, I want to give the highest kind of giving I can possibly give, I'm going to change a bad habit. From the point of view of Samantabhadra, that's worth more than, they say, stupas made of the seven precious things, as many as sand grains in the Ganges River, which means a lot of stupas, right? If you could give Berkeley Buddhist monasteries and make it of gold, silver, lapis lazuli, crystal, mother of pearl, rubies, and carnelian, not just wood and mortar, right? If you could give that as a gift, filling the city of Berkeley, California, and gave it to the Buddha, that's a lot of merit, a lot of goodness. Doesn't match one, they say, part in an Upanishad, the smallest part of the, the, the value of changing your bad habits. That's what it says. And so here's a comparison it makes. It says, this kind of giving is more important, changing your bad habit. That's rare. That's valuable. Why? Why does it say that? You're, Ian, right? Yeah. yeah. people to change their bad habits for a day or by face value make it seem outwardly that they have changed but then a few days later they'll revert back to their old ways and their habit will not have actually changed but it was a short term difference. Are you speaking personally? No. I don't have to... to some extent. To some extent. Some extent. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I know what you're saying. I guess I'll, I'll admit that. Yeah. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Yeah, that's true. Probably if you pass the mic we could all say the same. You're right. You're right because why? Habits are hard to change. But that's part of it. There's another part of it, which is this. It's that if we can actually ourselves uncover a bit of that light of our own nature, we're closer to Buddhahood. We are further along the path and the Buddha's work of waking us up advances. Right? Think about that. How much light do I release when I quit getting angry? You think, not very much? Well, from the Buddhist point of view, it's huge. And if you think about that, that's how long it takes to become a Buddha. Because there's so much stuff I don't know. I am thoroughly coded in wuming, ignorance, right? We all are. Otherwise, we would figure stuff out. We wouldn't be so confused about stuff. Okay? So, yeah, but still, that's the highest giving. Doing things the way you're taught, right? Practicing the way we're taught. That's one, that's one kind of giving. Another one is um, um, how does it go? Uh, 
to returning to principle, they say. In other words, cause and effect. If everything you do, before you do it, you say to yourself, this is going to come back to me. I'm planting a seed. Do I want this when it comes ripe? I won't do it otherwise. What's the golden rule? The golden rule. If you live according to the golden rule, you are cultivating the giving of Dharma. Right? You are cultivating fa bu shi fa gong yang. Zhu gong yang, zhong fa gong yang. Right? Golden rule, right? I'm going to only do things that I want done to me. Golden rule. I am not going to do things I don't want done to me. Like what? Lying. Who likes to be lied to? Nobody. So I won't do it. Because I don't want to be lied to. So I'm not going to lie. There's the giving of Dharma, right? You connect cause and effect. So that's one of them. There's like five different kinds of giving of Dharma. Um, so that's in terms of giving. We talked about letting go of stuff. Throwing stuff away, that's a kind of giving, right? You give it away to the dumpster. But what about renunciation? Boy, I really like coffee. But I know that when I drink a lot of coffee, I tend to speed. You know, and I miss details because I'm going so fast. Maybe I'll give up coffee. Why? Because I like stillness. I've been meditating and I don't eat coffee so much. Right? No, no, no. That's just a suggestion. I'm sorry. I'm not, not suggesting. Oh, no. He mentioned coffee. Now I've got to think about it. No, no, no. If you, I drink coffee, all right, and I'm not going to give it up until we get to Oregon, or maybe not till later. So, coffee has its value if you're driving a vehicle; it helps you stay awake. That's just an example. How about cigarettes, right? Cigarettes pretty much get a bad rap these days, no matter what Liggett and Myers would like you to believe, the tobacco manufacturers. So, I will give up cigarettes. Why? Because I know it would be better for me. I'll live longer if I can. That's renunciation. That's hard, okay? So that's that kind of giving. There's sharing is a kind of giving. I have enough, I'll share with someone else. I will hmm, give even when I don't have to. There's joy there, okay? Then there's gong yang, offering up. Taking something that is valuable and sharing it with giving it to the Buddhas and Bodhisattvas, giving it to sages, giving it to Dharma teachers. Okay? You say that's comparatively a higher kind of giving. And where are we now? We are back in the, the verse of the sutra. What are the, the devas doing? The devas are gong yang rulai shi chung bian. They're making offerings to the Tathagata and their joy is unbounded. Okay. Think about that, man. We come to Buddhism, why? We like to meditate, mostly, in this country. People like to meditate. Why do you come to Buddhism? My parents are Buddhist. We all, that's all I knew. We were always Buddhist. I come because that's what we did, says some of us, right? Other people, I come to Buddhism because I kind of like the feeling. I, I like peacefulness. I like the calm I get. All these different reasons. Who do you know who says, I come to Buddhism because I want to be a better giver? I want to learn to be more generous. Nobody connects that, right? It's huge in the sutra. Giving. Giving everywhere. Sanmun tikung, right? The giving of wealth, giving of fearlessness, courage, giving of dharma. You give, but there's, you empty out the giver. You empty out the gift. There's no gift, there's no giver, there's no receiver. 
Wow, that's profound. What does that mean, right? So giving is a huge part of Buddhism. I've never heard anybody say, I, came to Bo- I became a Buddhist so I could be really generous. way of breaking the rift of feeling like you need things because I think the biggest divide between people having things and being able to freely give things away is feeling like they need things more for themselves than like they feeling like I would benefit more having these things than giving them away like some of my friends they're able to you know purchase really large amounts of food give them away to homeless people in the park and they share with each other and do these things and it seems like you have to have a certain state of mind that you build up over time or something like that. But what do you think is the best way to develop that? Yeah, okay. That's a good question. Um, here's what's at stake. We, we live in a society that tells us that more is good and the most is the best. Right? We live in a consumer society that encourages greed. Right? We do. You know, the one of the most powerful examples was uh, Bernard Madoff, this financier in New York City who consciously, knowingly, on purpose, willingly, cheated people out of their pensions. He took entire, not just individuals, he, he was he created these funds that he would go to like, for example, the, uh, let's say, the uh, California Teachers Association, CTA. California Teachers Association has dues that its members pay, right? You pay dues, union dues, for example, or dues in your club. CTA would take its dues and they would hire a financial analyst to take that money and invest it. Instead of just sitting in a, an account that gets like 1.5% a year, their MBA treasurer would say, hey, there's a fund that if I invested here, we can get 6% a year. Well, if they invested in Bernard Madoff's securities, they wound up losing it all, right? School systems went out of business. They went bankrupt, right? City governments do this. The entire government invests their, their monies in this guy, he's one of many, who took the money and moved it around schemes so that there never was any money behind it. He would just move it and ship it off overseas to his own private account. So that's greed, right? And somehow in America, we have gotten to a place, not just America, but it's, it's, certainly it's strong in America, where greed is good. We feel that if you get more, it's yours. Right? Hold on. Let me think this through. So, okay, your friends and your first question. What about your friend? What do you do to get to a place where you can give food to the homeless and think this is good? Right? It's because you. the answer is you see clearly. Because you see through that wind in America, that tide. You know how tides come? Tell the tide to stop rolling in. It won't. The tide comes in. We have a tide 
of greed in America. There is a, a, a thought in our country, alive in our society right now, that says more is good, the most is best. We have a situation of economic disparity where 1% of the population has wealth equal to the entire wealth of small nations, right? There's, what is it, they, I haven't seen the figure, something like 6,000 people in America combined have more money than 40% of the rest of the world? Correct, correct, yeah, and that's called out of balance, that doesn't work, okay, but why? We have created a system that rewards that. All right. So, say it's not true. No, it's true. It's true. Why are we doing this? It's because one word, greed. And in Buddha Dharma, it's the Buddha talked, he laid it right out. He said, no, this is called poison. Greed is a poison. So, how do you deal with it? One is, you look ahead. You say, okay, today I ate so much food. Suppose today I ate twice as much food as that. What would happen? You'd be sick. You'd be rolling on the floor. You'd probably have to get a stomach pump or you'd have to move it out pretty quickly. We can only swallow so much food per day. Tonight, the bed you're going to sleep in, how big is it? Well, it's the same size, right? Maybe six and a half feet, a little longer than your body maybe. Suppose you slept in a bed that was three times that big. Could you sleep in all of that bed? You'd have to roll all night back to cover the whole bed, right? So we still take that much bed, we still eat that much food, and yet, if we follow the trend, the tide, we need houses with multiple bedrooms, we need bigger beds, we need, you know, better and better quality food, right? Well, the Buddha said that, conf- that takes that view of self and it distorts it. We will not find freedom and liberation by pursuing that. In fact, it will poison us. So, how do you do it? You see through it. And then, is key, you have to have somebody show you. You have to have a role model. Somebody who gives. Okay? I have a a friend from uh, Malaysia who is involved with, um, who's a Buddhist, and who, I don't know if it's Suji connection or not, but uh, really cares for his parents and sees that his parents are confused about stuff. Parents are money, 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 right? All about money. Talk about money, think about money, work about money among their siblings and their uncles and aunts. They talk about money only, right? So the friend said, I really want my parents to be more than name Buddhists. I want them to be Buddhists in practice. So what does she do? He... um, talked about it, got his parents to one day buy about 100 biendang. The biendang is bento, or bento in Japan, right? Biendang is a lunchbox, a box lunch. And it was styrofoam, and it had, you know, some mi fun, it had some tofu gan, and it had some, you know, had some broccoli and, and some uh, baozi, and they got some, uh, you know, vegetable or fruit juice, and they took it down to a park in KL, and set it, set up on a table, 
and then stood there and waited and said, you know, we have, we have some food for you. And at first, there was nobody, you know. And then one person came over and saw this table stacked with food and said, what are you doing with that? He said, well, we would like to offer you a lunch. Do you have any friends who could use that? And he said, I don't care about them. I'd like some food, though. You know, the person was like, give me. He said, no, uh, we won't give until you find two more. Huh. Okay. So running on, came back with three or four more people. Food, lunch, right? So they said, okay, can each of you bring two? So they all went back and they said, we're going to offer this food at noon. So it was now 1130. Come back. They came back and there was like 200 people, you know, coming back. And they all started rushing the table. And my friend, you know, and his dad, the point was the parents were there seeing this. The dad stood in front and said, wait, 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 this isn't right. You know, first of all, we're going to recite the Buddha's name. No, oh, he didn't say anything about that. Crap, I want to do that for you. Know no, we want to recite the Buddha's name because, it's, you know, it's, it's a really good thing. It makes it very special. And, okay, you know how to do that? No, I don't do that. No, no, no. I'm Muslim. Okay, right. That's, that's okay. You can, you know. So, they everybody get in line, recite the Buddha's name, and then they gave them the bindang. And the friend looked at his dad, and his dad was radiant. Why? He was now in the role of benefactor, of donor, of giver, someone who was, and he saw in the faces of these hungry people the joy of receiving a gift. And it was food and it filled the need, right? And so they went back home and this son, you know, said, well, what was that like? Mom and dad said, let's do it again, only 200 next time. Let's get more and do it again. That was really good, you know. And so I'm saying you need a role model. You need somebody to lead the way. When you see the joy of giving, it, it touches something true and genuine inside. It's, it's, a, it's watering our sprouts of goodness, our merit and virtue. So, think. Can you imagine Guanyin Bodhisattva's happiness? Right? Thousands and thousands of hands and eyes. 42 thousands, right? And everyone is like, Namo Guanyin Pusa. You need this. Namo Gonyapusa. Namo Gonyapusa. Saved you. Now, is Gonyapusa a real being? I, I've had, I've had experiences when I've somebody helped out, you know, right on time, just what I needed. But imagine, you know, what joy? Why do Buddhas look so, you know, peaceful and calm? Buddhas are happy beings because of the giving that they can do. Imagine if you can give in a way that ends suffering. Wow. Now, mind you, often people don't get it, right? Often people turn right around and you say the power of habits, right? So there's lots of suffering. If you could see into the hells, you, you wouldn't have that smiling face. But Urstor Bodhisattva pulls people out of where the suffering is the worst. So, the joy of giving, 
Man, it's once you see it, it's really here. And it's as simple as letting go of greed, as simple as flowers for mom or breakfast in bed, or simply letting her know that you're okay. Right? Moms are satisfied with very little. You know, it doesn't take much to please mom. And if she knows that you're okay, that's often, you know, how much the more if she knows you're really fine, you're really happy, and you can't fool her. You know, you're sending her the message that you're okay. That's pretty satisfying. Can you imagine when you're the mom? I can't, because I will never be a mom, but, you know, when you're the mom, what do you want your kid to be? Satisfied. Okay. Not needy, greedy, unhappy, grasping, frustrated, angry. Right? So that's giving of dharma if, if the mom is the, the field of blessing. Okay, we have devas giving. What are they giving? Let's go down to paragraph two. Tian zhu cai nu zhou tian yue yi yi yan si gu zan fo xi yi pu sa wei shen gu yu bi sheng zhong fa shi yan Next line. Fo yuan jiu yuan jin nai man. Fo dao jiu yuan jin nai de. Shi jia wen fo zhi tian gong. Li tian ren zhe jiu nai jian. Comely goddesses played celestial music. They sang the Buddha's praises in melody and lyrics. All due to the Bodhisattva's magnificent spirit. Then they spoke these words. The Buddha's vows at last now reach fulfillment. Buddhahood finally has been realized. Shakyamuni Buddha has come to heaven's halls. At last we behold the benefactor of humans and devas. So, there we have. That's our window. We have a comely goddess playing celestial music. Right? Celestial music. Imagine what that sounds like. What are the, the, uh, we have uh, pentatonic and diatonic music. Do, re, mi, fa, so, la, ti, do. Diatonic, right? We have those seven notes that repeat. And what is the scale in the heavens? Wow. Imagine what a heavenly, what a celestial violin sounds like. A celestial chin. Oh, um, Master Dashing and I saw a video recently of uh, the the video was called Guan Shi and it was about Buddhist musicians and not no it was about music uh, traditional classical spiritual music in Japan somebody had done research and gone through Japan and found places where people are keeping old music alive. One was the music of no drama, right? N-O-H, nung in Chinese, no drama. The music that uh, they play, the drum, that kind of weird no music they play. And uh, then they had somebody who played the sheng, the Chinese sheng, and it's called the shou uh, in Japanese. And this is, it's a, a woman. She looks like she might be a secretary in the steno pool or she doesn't look distinguished in any particular way. But she plays the sheng. And the sheng is this pipe organ. 
it has these vertical pipes. It looks like a phoenix with the tails, you know, like that. And it's got reeds and you go, I, I, I can't do it because it's polyphonic. And it's got, you know, all these different, different uh, um, unison octaves of high, low. It's kind of like, it's, if you can imagine, uh, it's got a reed, so it's like a clarinet or a saxophone, only it's like a harmonica, um, very celestial. And I'm telling you this because why the, this woman who plays, she improvises, she's totally untutored. She says that her teacher and the tradition says this is what deva music sounds like. She says, you say, this deva music. And she goes into like caves that have these echoes and goes and and it's uh it's a very uh ethereal, really amazing sound now some people when you play the shung badly it's a it's a lot like bagpipes played badly some you just want to like stop that, please, you know the dogs go because it's like, oh, you know. So you have to play the shung in a celestial way. But, oh, anybody, we have a bagpiper in our neighborhood. Do you know that? We have a guy who's about two blocks over uh, who pulls out his bagpipes and practices about two or three times a week. And it's always in the afternoon. And the neighbors have come to live with it. It is so loud. You can hear it blocks and blocks away. And this piper is just going at it, playing all these Scottish airs and reels and jigs. And, and I, you know, like it. I like bagpipes. But I'm, not, I'm two blocks away. I think if I were any closer, probably I would like it a little less. But uh, this piper just gives the whole neighborhood a concert two or three times a week. It's quite wonderful. So here we have comely goddesses playing celestial music on their celestial bagpipes. And they sing the Buddha's praises and melodies and lyrics. Amitabha's body is the color of gold. The splendor of his hallmarks has no peer. Right? Amitabha Shanjin Have all these wonderful uh, praises. The Chinese tradition has beautiful, incredible praises um, that we don't get to hear very often because they're a lot of them are are good. They're songs that are only sung kind of outside the Buddha hall. They're not uh, liturgical. They're not for the ceremonies. And we have some nuns in Taiwan who are really good at these. They they play them. They sing them uh, very beautifully and. Uh, um, I I think there's no fear that they're going to vanish in the next couple centuries. They're they're there to stay, but coming to this country, they um, they're kind of a curiosity because there's no root for Chinese music in the wind and the water of of this continent. So we have to come up with our own. We have to have our own praises, and uh, we're on our way to Buddha Root Farm, where our our focus is Medicine Buddha. And I'm going to, early on, encourage people to uh, think about new praises for Medicine Buddha. How are we going to praise him? All due to the Buddha's, mag- to the Bodhisattva's magnificent spirit, these devas, 
play their music and praise, praise the Buddha. And, okay, this next stanza, notice there is a jyo. It's not only jyo, it's, yeah, it's jyo. Long time. For yen, Buddha's vows, jyo yen. Long time and long running. Naiman, jin naiman. Now, finally, full. The Buddha's vows, jyo yen, for a very long time, have been running, but now they're full. For Dao, the Buddha's path, jyo yen. For a very long time, long time coming, jin naida, now, finally, has been accomplished. We got it. Realized it. Shi jia wen fo, shakyamuni fo, Buddha, that's the Buddha's name, zhi tian gong, has come to our place. The palace of heaven, our celestial halls, heaven's halls. Li tian ren zhe, benefiting devas and humans, one, jiu nai jin. Finally we get to see. We get to see the Buddha finally. Okay. What is that? That's, that's what a god sings and prays. We're hearing contemporary, not CCM, contemporary Christian music. We're hearing contemporary CBM, contemporary Buddhist music, as sung by gods. These are devas praising, not just us. Right? Usually we praise God, right? We praise the Buddha. Here are the devas praising the Buddha. How interesting. Is everybody aware of contemporary Christian music? Is anybody aware of contemporary Christian music? Connie, Angela, Phil, good. Okay, young guys do. They know. All right, what is that? If you don't know what contemporary Christian music is, get in your car and drive east and punch on the radio. You can't avoid it. It fills the airwaves through mid-America. About halfway to Sacramento it starts, right? There aren't very many CCM stations in the Bay Area. Uh, there aren't very many country stations in the Bay Area. If you want to hear country music, you've got to start heading north to Santa Rosa. Then you meet it, right? You have to go past the Marin Civic Center, and then you get Froggy 92.9, 25 in a row. Country music never stops. The hits keep on rolling. Froggy 92.9. You don't believe me? Punch in 92.9 on your way to City of 10,000 Buddhas. And I should say, and don't thank me. I mean, don't thank me because you won't want to listen. Country music is another world. Contemporary Christian music is another world. The reason I bring it up is it is huge. Many, many, many people in this country are Christian, self-identified as Christian. And there's uh, a lot of young folks who don't want to listen to hip-hop. They don't want to listen to sticky pop. They don't know where to listen because those lyrics are advocating mm, unchristian behavior, let's say. So where do they go? They listen to Christian music, which sounds every bit like regular rock and roll, only the lyrics are praising Jesus, praising God. That's what they do. It's this, right? Only this is our Buddhist flavor. 
It's the second of Samantabhadra's vows. Chung zan rulai, praising the thus come one. Only you you pick your your deity, right? Contemporary Christian music. When I say you, all you do is head east and turn your radio on, the entire country and Canada is blanketed with the station after station of what sounds like rock and roll, but if you listen carefully, they're talking about praise his name, praise Jesus, which is fine. You know, It's a whole genre, and there are stars, and there are you know, ads. It's, just, it's a world of commerce, commercial music, focused on praising God. We Buddhists are kind of slow. We have, you know, uh, upon the earth below the sky, the Buddha has no peer. Right? Let's praise the Buddha. We have Amitabha's body is the color of gold. Tomorrow we're going to be singing, Medicine Master, thus come one, Namo, Namo. Praise. Praising the Buddha, right? So we have earth or bodhisattva, wonderful beyond compare. That one, praise of earth or. We have bodhisattva, Guan Yin is wonderful past gratitude. In our yellow book, that's the Guan Yin praise. So we have them. We have the beginnings of praise, but it's nothing like contemporary Christian music, which is Millions, millions of hits, right? No exaggeration. So, there we go. What have we learned? We've learned about giving, we've learned about praising. Because why? That's what devas do. What do the gods do in heaven? They cultivate. What do they cultivate? Giving, praising. Their virtue is extended. They're going to be gods for a long time. All right. So, we will be back on page 30 and 31 at the bottom next Saturday night. And should we um, be a little late, it's because we are on the road. Not that I'm predicting we will be. I hope we've been pretty good so far, making it back. But we start Saturday morning very, very early in near Reedsport, Oregon, turn the car south and come rolling down Highway 5 to get back. And uh, so far, barring any, you know, unforeseen, we should be here by about five. And uh, Dashing Fasher will be uh, keeping the monastery rolling along as normal for that week. So um, if for any reason we don't make it back, Dashing Fasher will be here lecturing on the Avatamsika. No, he'll be helping us meditate and We'll, we will know. It's not that we won't show up. If, if for any reason we're late, we'll let you know. But I suspect that all will be well and we'll be continuing our, uh, continuing our investigation of the Avatamsaka Sutra. Okay, shall we transfer the merit?
Today was quite wonderful at lunch. Um, we went around the room in the dining room and asked where people were from. We thought we had the farthest when we said, who's from London, England? And half the room raised their hand. and Five or six people raised their hand. And then we found out we had people from Italy. Come all the way from Genoa. Who had come. And we had uncles and aunts from Los Angeles here for, for the wedding today. And we had people coming from New York all the way to hear the Dharma. So, quite wonderful to see so many folks um, gathering from all over the world just to, to be here to spread their, share their light. And sorry, we're not there yet. Twelve strings, you know. When you hear this woman play the shung, the Japanese woman, it's quite amazing. This film came about as part of the International Buddhist Film Festival. Our friend uh, Gaetano Maeda um, encouraged this, this film and is distributing it. Some of the music is Buddhist, but not all. There, that's the one we're missing, right there. One of the better scenes in the movie is uh, this uh, Buddhist monk who, I'm not sure the tradition, Shingon or something, and he's doing a fire ceremony and he's you know he's lighting incense and he's got the robes on and he's chanting in Japanese and very very austere and this incense smoke curls up like this you know then he stands up takes off his robe and goes over to a turntable turns it on picks up the mic and starts beatboxing and doing DJ <laughs> Like that, and it's so it's all the different uh, kinds of sacred music happening in Japan at the time. So. Okay, we're tuned up and we're ready, so please make a wish how you would like uh, to heal things that are broken in the world, and it's your wish and your, your virtue that goes out to people who can use that light. So let's do that now. Our minds 
lives as one and radiant with light. Share the fruits of peace with hearts of goodness, luminous and bright. If people hear and see how hands and hearts can find in giving unity, May their minds awake to great compassion, wisdom, and to joy. May kindness find reward. May all who sorrow leave their grief and fear. May this boundless light break the darkness of their endless night. Because our hearts are one, this world of pain turns into paradise. May all become compassionate and wise. May all Become compassionate and wise. So I got one. Yes, Dashima. Okay, next Saturday, usually on Saturdays, we have our uh, Buddha recitation, our uh, Universal Door chapter or Repentance next Saturday. Because so many people are away, we're going to skip that Saturday. So, just to let you know. Um, I wanted to uh, give you a, uh, a pl- an interesting place that contemporary Buddhist music might go. It's not contemporary, it's from the Tang Dynasty, so it's 1300 years old, but it's called the Song of Enlightenment, Zheng Dao Ge. And it's sung, it was sung back then. Master Hua can recite all 62 verses from memory, um, and does it every day, and when he did it, it was completely awesome. It was written in Chinese, and probably was part of an oral tradition, kind of like... Um, Folk song, like, uh, you know how nursery rhymes uh, go around? Um, when kids do jump rope, step on a crack and break your mother's back. Um, how does it go? Yeah, like that. Yeah, every culture has, you know, things the kids sing as they uh, skip to school, um, nursery rhymes, you know. Um, Sister Mary, quite contrary, how does your garden grow with cockle shells and silvery bells? Oh, fair maids all in a row. So China had those. And Master Yongjia took those melodies, I think. We don't know the melodies because they're 1,300 years ago. Took those melodies and put 
his enlightened wisdom into song form. So, um, there are 62 verses, and I'm going to start now, and we'll see how long it takes. So, I hope you brought your sleeping bags. We're going to be here for... No, I'm kidding. 63, 63 verses. Long. So, instead of doing the whole thing, which would someday, we hope, I picked out a couple topics, and one of them is an analogy, the mirror of the mind. Seeing the mind as a mirror, the mirror of the mind. Xin Jing, right? So, Xin Jing Ming, Guang Wu Ai, Koran Ying He, Zhou Da Gai, Wan Shang Chen Luo Ying Xian Zhong, Yi Che Wu Nei Wu Wai, Li Che Yuan Guang Wu Nei Wai. That's how it goes in Chinese. How does it go in English? I got three verses, because there's number 28, number 44, number 4, number 28, number 44, all mention the mirror of the mind. So I brought three out. I translated them. How are we going to sing them? What are we going to do to bring these forward? I think it should have a banjo. Uh, banjo would be really good, because it's got a, a high, lonesome sound, if anybody knows mountain music genre, the high, lonesome sound. Something like this. The mirror of the mind is bright without a flaw. Everything's reflected, you can see it all. All ten thousand things revealed, perfect, round and bright. No inside, no outside, just brilliant, pure light. The mind is the root, dharmas are all dust. Mind and dharmas both are lacked like a mirror stained and cracked. Polish out the stains and cracks, the mirror shines like new. Forget both mind and dharmas, the nature now is true. Goodbye to good and evil, goodbye to loss and gain. In stillness and tranquility, you never ask again. Your wisdom mirror was coated thick, you never wiped it clean. Now it shines without a flaw, there's nothing you can't see. That's three verses of the mirror of the mind. So it's uh, in Chinese, it's really powerful. And I think in English, it could be powerful too. There's the wish-fulfilling pearl, three verses. The Buddha nature, three verses. Great. 